You're listening to Help for Mothers, the podcast that helps mothers with health, education, love, and protection. With co-hosts Augustine Colebrook, a maternal child health investigator, and Keisha Chiappinelli, a human rights attorney. Together, we dissect one segment of maternity health crisis in the United States every week. This week, we're asking the question, where is the societally acceptable line between public health and personal autonomy in life and in labor? Um, how are you? How are you feeling? How's your family? How's life? I'm good. Um, I'm just ready for things to get back to normal. I feel like yeah. I know it's very serious, so I don't minimize the seriousness of it. Like my ex-husband's cousin, who was 35 years old, died from it. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of, I mean, there's more to that. He was an asthmatic and he had bronchitis and some stuff. And I have another friend from church who I heard just passed away. She's older though, you know, 70. Mm -hmm. But I just, I almost, I just don't believe in restricting like the free movement of people for almost any reason. I just, I don't either. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. So welcome to the next podcast episode, (laughs) help for mothers. And I think, like just right where you're going is where we need to go, which is this crazy juxtaposition, this crazy intersection where we're sitting, which is the difference or the debate between personal liberty and the greater good. Mm -hmm. And we've been debating this um, sort of personally uh, for a long time because this intersection is also where decisions around public health versus personal health sit in childbearing, right? So like one topic that's always debating this intersection is vaccines. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So we're right here and now it's happening on a global scale. It's crazy. It's really unprecedented. Well, and I think the vaccine issue, no matter which side you're on is the perfect well, how am I going to stop that from happening? <laughs> you have to go to Do Not Disturb. <laughs> On my computer? Do you hear the neighbors screaming? Slightly. There's so much domestic violence in this neighborhood. Every morning, every night, I'm listening to things being thrown and broken and people screaming in my road. Seriously? Seriously. And this is where I want to talk about. Okay, fine. The virus has potential effects and people can die from the virus. That's real. But you know what else? People can die from being shut in their homes. People can die from domestic violence. People can die from lack of income and food and access to resources, which is what shutting down the economy has done. I listened to this fascinating interview with Jay Bhattacharya, 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 I can't remember his name. I'll put it in the link. Um, He is an MD, PhD economist right? So the perfect combination, medical and economy uh, knowledge at Stanford University. And he did this great talk um, uh, talking about, it's not the the argument between 
people's lives and the economy money. It's actually lives versus lives because losing the economy also has risk of life. Even, even in the last reset, the Great Recession 10 years ago, which I think the, the one that's coming might be, might, might like, we'll stop calling it great. Um, the, the, uh, there were uh, huge numbers of people who died from uh, depression, uh, opioid overdose, you know, these deaths of despair. Right. Uh, that's a mechanism that's, I don't know how unique it is to the U.S., but it's certainly in a lot of developed countries that you have things like that where you don't have any purpose in life and you, you spiral downward. I think there's that. Uh, in, in other poorer countries, some of the diseases that are the, the, and, uh, the, and conditions that, that used to are, are, are slowly going away as life expectancy goes up could come back. I mean, there's no, there's no iron law that says that, uh, that if, I mean, that, that income is going to continue going up for GDP is going to go up forever, right? It's if, and if there's a global depression, there are countries uh, that, that, that will face enormous difficulties caring for the health of its popu their populations. You still have family back in India. What happens in India? I'm, I'm scared to death of it. I got cousins. I mean, I don't know. The, the, the rise in GDP worldwide has pulled billions of people, I think, out of poverty and raised life expectancy everywhere. If that gets reversed, the flip side is that means lots and lots of lives shortened unnecessarily. Um, I think that's the flip side to, re to remember. Is It's not just dollars versus lives. It's lives versus lives. It's generational, too. So... It's lives now, but also lives in the future when you're talking about the economical piece, I believe. You know, you feel right. the effects right. of that for decades, and it doesn't just impact you, say, the parent or the provider. It impacts your entire family. Right, right. And, the, and your children and the future and what's possible for your family. And as we're seeing, you know, and brown people are more impacted by this duh, like they're already more impacted by every policy in the United States. And right. you know who's going to suffer into the future more disproportionately? The same people who are suffering now. I mean, like loss sure. of income, loss of job will, will continue into the future. Right, right. If you're feeling they're the effects now, if you're the hardest hit now, you're going to feel the repercussions for a long time. That's right. And so this whole idea that we're social distancing and exploding our economy to protect lives, I, I, I want to go out on a limb and I, I'm going to say I'm not sure that, the, that this is true. I mean, like, I've been listening to Sam Vaknin, who's one of the five highest IQ uh, people in the world in Israel, and he's doing these daily uh, YouTube talks about what's happening. And, um, and he, he is firmly of the belief that that it's crazy what has happened and that government officials are being held hostage by the medical establishment who is the only entity who serves to make any profit off of this exactly the thing is the law of unintended consequences when we implement quarantine and social distancing when we shut down all our economies we are playing with fire we are playing with our destiny. And I am not talking about unemployment benefits. I am not talking about the collapse of small and medium businesses. This, these tsunami waves are on the way. 
And for the next decade at least, we're going to suffer the consequences of this hard-headed foolishness. I'm talking about something, some things which are irreversible and much, much more detrimental and deleterious to the future of the human species. Consider, for example, the following. In East Africa, at the beginning of every spring, around January, February, and March, people have to spray, have to use insecticides, insecticides to kill locust larvae. And when they don't, locusts multiply. Now, locusts move in herds, move in, in huge swarms, and they devour vegetation. About two weeks ago, a locust swarm, 20 times the size of the largest swarm ever seen, descended upon East Africa. Today, another swarm had descended. It is 210 times the largest swarm ever seen before, 70 years ago. Nothing will be left of vegetation in Africa. We are headed for a famine the size of which we have never ever seen before. I could even say in human history. Tens of millions of people will die of hunger and famine or be at least um, subject to malnutrition, be famished. Children with stunted growth will survive for generations to come. Why all this? Because of social distancing and universal quarantine. People were not allowed to go out and spray the fields. Locust larvae multiplied, locust swarms descended. In a typical swarm, for you to understand, there are now two billion, that's billion with B, insects. And this is only one of the unintended consequences of our foolish policies. No economist in the world could look at what's happening and really honestly say that what's happening is saving lives. I mean, social distancing and, and no open services in India? Are you kidding me? Those people are not doing better. Well, and then I'll be even, well. Go for it. It's an unpopular thing to say, but they're not doing better. But even if they were doing worse, I feel like it's not the place to restrict people's rights. You, if you want to stay home, if you want to social distance, at least here in this country, you can do it. You know? Yeah. You have that option. And if so you have a home, this, you, it, right. it requires that you have a home, which this entire policy is actually kind of <laughs> discriminatory. Well, yeah, it assumes that you've got, the means, I guess. I don't I mean, what's a good example, though? Like, people who don't have a permanent home, people who, I'm trying to think of an example of how it could be dis discriminatory, just for the hell of thinking about it. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. I'm, I'm thinking, too. I mean, there's, there's a whole bunch of, of folks who do not have permanent homes. Right. There's a whole bunch of folks, like 
okay, so, so I have lived without a home for the last four years. And I have distinguished upon meeting lots of people who also don't live with a home, like they live, but they don't have a permanent structure, that there are actually three titles that describe three levels of this process. Um, so there are home-free folks, and these are people who choose not to have a home, but they know where they're sleeping and they know what they're eating. Okay. Then, yeah. then those are like the snowbirds, um, the RVers, you know, those kinds of people are home freers. Then there are houseless people. Um, they don't always know where they're sleeping, but they know what they're eating. And these are That's, couch yeah. surfers. These yeah. are snow bums. These are, you know, uh, a lot of people in California because they have to be right. Uh, tr you know, they, they work in one city and they sleep on someone else's couch. They're here in Australia. They call them FIFOs, fly in, fly out. So they have a place to stay when they're working. But then when they go back to their hometown, they just crash with someone. These are houseless people. And then there are homeless people. And homeless people right. don't know where they're sleeping or what they're eating. And they're not doing that by choice. Um, and all three of those populations, though, do are not able to comply in any real way with this recommendation also the recommendations depending on where you're talking about right are very extreme so it's i think it's kind of perfect that i just happen to have an ex-husband in puerto rico in the house that i lived in for two years full time and then i have my close cousin we're basically the same age She's in her third trimester and she's in Italy outside of Rome. So I have seen from the very beginning what's happening in Italy and that's actually been extreme, but consistent. So it was always pretty much don't come out unless you have to go to the grocery store or the pharmacy. While in Puerto Rico, it started out as, oh, well, we're going to do a curfew. The governor issued his order i read it in english and then the police interpreted it differently within about 48 hours and said that it said something that it actually did not say and used that as an opportunity to cite people and this is the same police who on a regular day absent covid 19 don't even answer the 911 calls when you need them then it went to total shelter in place well yeah you could come out and walk your dog before but not anymore we'll ticket you for that and now license plate numbers that end in an odd number can go out on monday evens go out the next day so if you're out when you're not supposed to be we can ticket you now it's gone to you cannot even have family in your home unless they reside in that home unless they live there that means my mother from down the road can't come over. That is the most extreme that I've heard of. That is more extreme than Italy. And it begs the question, like, I mean, multiple questions, but I mean, my brain is literally scrambled. I want to, before we talk about this very specific example, which is awesome, and I'm so glad you have this information and I want to unpack it. I like, I feel compelled to like zoom way out and look at the, the really, really broad 30,000 foot view global picture and just name a few truths that are happening that put this conversation, it contextualizes the conversation. So like 
right now, there has never been a time in history when the entire human race agrees on anything. Not only is the entire human race agreeing to fight a common invisible enemy, but they are also willing to give up massive inalienable civil rights in order to remain on house arrest. <laughs> Millions of people have entered house arrest voluntarily. Willing to. <laughs> I mean, it, this defies logic. What? I, what? I cannot relate to it on any level. I am such I, a, I don't know. I value my freedom. And my freedom is just, my number one right. core desired feeling. Like it, it is, it is absolutely an inalienable human right to have sovereignty, agency, and independence. It is an alien. I mean, it's not just because we're American, right? Like that, that belongs everywhere. Don't you think? Yes, absolutely. So what happened? Why? Do millions of people feel comfortable giving that up? What happened? I don't know. I don't know I, either. I think it's a combination of fear uh, that is perpetuated by governments and the media, perhaps for political purposes, perhaps just for control, perhaps they misguide or are misguided and think it's best. doesn't really matter, but it's this fear factor it's the unknown and it's, I just can't wrap my mind around it. I can't honestly. either. I can't either. And so now that we have those big picture truths, we can zoom into the pockets of humanity that are now experiencing the most obvious outcome of this kind of overreach which is abuse of power. So in Puerto right. Rico, in Puerto Rico, perfect example. People, people are being literally, I mean, what is the word? I mean, what is, the, what is even happening there? We have a government that is so overzealously policing a policy that was determined in several other countries to be a theory that might work to stop an illness that affects 1% of the population or less. I mean, like, right. I really, I cannot wrap my head around this. What? Yeah. What? It's less, it's, it's almost not even a percentage in Puerto Rico. There are very no. few cases. And actually, w when you read the paper that, that, that Fauci published the week before he became Trump's spokesperson, he had an a, a, a epidemiological assessment of the risk of, of mortality from COVID-19 as based on China studies as 0.1%. Four days later, he went on TV and said 1%, which is a factor of 10 greater. So which is right? He also just went on TV and said that fully 50 to 70% of the U.S. population may already be infected. If that's the truth, where are all the deaths that he's saying? 
It's, I mean, I I sound like what they want to paint as conspiracy theorists, but it is lies. It is lies. The numbers. This isn't that this was invented in a lab and we're talking about basically. No, no, no. Just the numbers are lies. Yeah. They're lies. Why would top government officials and seemingly intelligent scientists deceive the entire American populace and the world. Why? Like I understand Wuhan and Italy and maybe even Spain being like, help, help, help. We have to do something. Let's try this. That to me makes sense because their numbers just went and like crazy high. But I don't understand why governments around the globe have adopted these policies with 12 cases. And more than that, I don't understand why people allowed it. Where are the protests? Where are the people speaking out about this? I have no idea. And I was watching it really closely in Puerto Rico because it wasn't that long ago that we had Hurricane Maria where there was a complete lack of planning and you had supplies being hoarded in in warehouses across the island even as recently as this week another one was discovered you had if that did not paint you a picture of how ineffective and corrupt the government was during that emergency i don't know what will i don't know what to say i just i i i feel like at a total loss I don't, like, I keep thinking about this from the perspective that I like to do, which is to zoom into various perspectives. So bear with me for a second. Mm-hmm. At 30,000 foot view, like you're, you're way up at the highest cruising altitude possible, looking down over the globe. Shit does not make sense. Millions yeah. of people have put themselves on house arrest millions, billions of people are willing to give up personal freedoms and autonomy and sovereignty. The, uh, millions of people are listening to governments that a week ago they thought were, were poorly constructed and doing a poor job running the country. Right. Economists are, are silent as, as their countries are destroyed in economies, right? 30,000 foot view does not make sense. Then if you like come down to like a cruising altitude, you, you can think about your own country and be like, why are the members of my country all willing to do this? In certain areas, it could make more sense than others. But as a collective, we have all sort of jumped off the cliff. And then if you come down to the very ground level, you start to see magnifications in inequity, magnifications in lack of access, magnifications in divides that already existed. And then right on the very ground floor, we see abuses of power, like this guy on the news in, I can't, I can't remember, I think it was Chicago, got put in handcuffs and put in the back of a cop car by officers not wearing PPE as punishment for being on a playground with his kid. Oh, I just saw that. So, okay, 
that could just be some overzealous cops. It could be accentuating the fact that we have cops that like to abuse their power all over the globe and da da da. But really, is it, I mean, is that all it is? How can it be that in the span of one month, a group of police officers could somehow see sinister, illegal actions in a dad playing at the park with his kid? How could that happen? Good question. And now we can segue over into talking about what we usually talk about. Was it moms and babies and young families and protecting the sovereignty of the birth process? Did you see the article I tagged you in? Let me look. Ottawa, Canada. No, Ontario, Canada. There's a hospital in Ontario, Canada that is now making epidurals mandatory. What? I tagged you in it. Go read it. I'm picking it up. Epidurals required? Are they crazy? (laughs) Yeah. Apparently the whole world has gone and it's gone crazy. We have lost personal freedoms in the span of a few weeks. We've lost legal rights, like informed decision-making. So what's the logic behind the epidural thing? Here's the statement from the hospital. We have found a market increased preparation time required for donning PPE and setting up an OP, operating, I'm guessing. As our operative team is not in-house, there are concerns about performing an emergency C-section in a timely manner. A general anesthetic is to be avoided if at all possible to prevent aerosolization of the COVID-19 virus. To expedite emergency surgery, should it be needed, we are requesting that all patients have an epidural. Exception being rapidly laboring patients to that progress to delivery before anesthesia can arrive. So you can have a normal birth if you can push your baby out before our anesthesiologist gets there. If the patient is not agreeable to an epidural, then we request delivery be planned at another facility to save, for the safety of mother and baby. This is, this is akin to the cops arresting someone playing on the parking lot, on the pe- playground with their kid. This is in the same vein. This is, if you don't do it our way, we can't take care of you. Okay. What is going on, Keisha? <laughs> no idea. Uh, I mean, the same week this is happening on Ontario, Canada, them saying we can't change PPE that often. We can't set up for emergency. We're going to treat everyone as an emergency so that we can deal with one emergency. Like the ratio, I mean, we could get into the decision making process with this, which is insane. But at the same time, this is happening. There are, there are doctors in Georgia and Florida telling their normal OBGYN clients, they should stop scheduling appointments with their OBGYN and they should find a midwife right away because the hospitals are going to be so overrun that they will put themselves at risk coming into the hospital. Previous doctors who worked diligently to eradicate the scourge of midwifery are now recommending clients go find them. I, I find to turn. <laughs> oh, I find it incredibly ironic. It's very humorous, actually. But what is happening? I mean, I, I cannot wrap my brain around it. 
and this is going to be an incredibly boring podcast because it all will boil down to <laughs> what? But let's talk about the legality. This is the part I really want to explore with you. <clears throat> talk to me, let, let's focus on America for a minute. Let's talk, focus on the U.S. Talk to me about the, the laws as they relate to personal freedoms. This, as we try to make sense of this massive change that has happened in the span of a very, very short amount of time. Well, that's a very complicated question. I'm sure it and is. And I think it depends on the context. I think it depends on if we're talking about civil law, if we're talking about criminal law. But I think in a nutshell, you could say this, that if the government declares some sort of state of emergency, that your rights essentially evaporate because they have the power to do what they want, whenever they want, and however they want for the sake of protecting public health and welfare. So it's this, it's always a default to, you know, public health emergency and protection and this idea that the government knows better. So in the last podcast, we talked about my lawsuit against the Arkansas Department of Health. And every time we made an argument, the rebuttal was, oh, safety, public health and welfare, and they get to do whatever they want. Now, in particular, I did find out some really helpful information about why these hospital policies were changing or are changing or were. Some are being reversed in light of, you know. Public outcry. Um, yeah, public outcry. Thank you. Uh, and so we could talk about that. And I think it's pretty interesting. Please. You know, okay. I want to have every part of your brain that you have to share. And I have to say, I consulted with a friend about this who's an attorney and an RN. Very, very helpful. So thanks to her, she helped me clarify exactly what was happening. And essentially, so we'll take the example of the hospital here in Arkansas I posted about. They wanted to implement this change where postpartum mother could not have any visitors during labor and delivery she could have one support person there that change really stems from the fact that if a facility accepts medicare they are subject to what's called the conditions of participation now the conditions of participation one of which is that you have a right to have visitors so CMS, the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services, it's, it's one M in the acronym, but it's really two M's, Medicaid and Medicare. So CMS issued a blanket waiver, is what it's called, where several of these conditions of participation during this public health emergency, okay, public health emergency, that the president declared, um, so when he declared that emergency, these blanket waivers were issued that allowed these facilities to disregard your right to have a visitor. 
And that's what happened. Now, they don't have to, to do this. They don't have to say, you know, mom is going to be alone in the postpartum period. They could make what I would call a reasonable change. And that is whoever was there during labor and delivery gets to stay. They're already in the hospital. They've already been exposed. But we see that some hospitals are not doing this. Um, and the argument on their side is they're, they're trying to optimize patient care, keep the staff safe, keep patients safe, and that this is a reasonable measure to take. There, and there could be, if you do have a facility like that, there could be some sort of appeal process or, for example, if, if, you're, if you have a history maybe of postpartum depression, severe that you could advocate for yourself through this appeal process to have someone stay with you the entire time. But, but who, who has the wherewithal that? to do that when they're yeah, newly postpartum? Newly postpartum and then, or you could plan for it ahead if you have time to do that. I don't know. I mean, some women are being caught off guard. I saw a story about a woman who went to a New York hospital literally the day this, this change came out and ended up totally alone during, yeah, the labor and delivery, not just the postpartum period. Yeah, so they it, were doing that for a while. And then Governor Cuomo released a statement saying um, that he wants the hospitals to allow one support person. So then some change, but not all have. I did an interview with several New York midwives and they said not all are allowing a support in. And then did you see that, that uh, article about the woman in New Jersey who went to the hospital and was told that her husband couldn't come in with her. So they went home to labor longer and she had the baby in the bathtub by herself. Oh, wow. <laughs> Haven't heard that one. Yeah, we're going to have some really crazy stories come out. And I hope that the message is that there are other alternatives to a hospital birth. That Oh, other, I hope that's the message. You know, yeah. at the end of the day, you don't, you don't have to do this in the hospital establishment. Yeah, I think that's one of the clearest messages that I've seen come out in the conversation. It's like, oh, hospitals are for sick people. Oh, <laughs> I get that now. Oh, I see. Midwives and birth centers and home births are for normal birth. Ah, that's a really good, that's a really good outcome of this craziness, I think. I think so too. I mean, if we could find the silver lining, that might yeah. be one. And then I think we mentioned it during our last conversation as well that so what's funny to me is that these changes stem from you know federal law and federal mandates surrounding medicaid and medicare and now they're they've been changed because of this public health crisis but these establishments don't even have to take medicare and medicaid i mean they take medicare and medicaid but if they want to turn down a client who's on Medicare or Medicaid, they could. So hmm. just unpack that for me a little more. So, well, so I just want to understand the change. So the president at the urging of, of scientists and other medical people declared a state of emergency. And then as a result of that declaration, CMS gave, got power. Well, right? they already promulgate the rules so those conditions of participation come through cms cms and then so cms is kind of watching everything and in response to what the president did 
they created a blanket waiver to their conditions of participation. For the facilities that accept Medicaid and Medicare. Right. But all facilities kind of took up that mantle. Yes. And I, I have not looked at, okay, which hospitals where, you know, I'm assuming, and maybe, you know, at least here in the States, I bet most, if not all hospitals, except Medicare. Most, but not all. Okay. Um, and then in private hospitals in Boca Raton. Okay. <laughs> they don't. But yes, most do. Mm-hmm. Well, and then if they are a private hospital, then they're not subject to this. You can have a visitor requirement. That would be something that's internal or specific to that facility. I mean, I think all hospitals are allowing or allow visitors just on a normal day, absent mm-hmm. COVID-19. But yes, it sounds like the hospitals who are subject to this, who are looking at what CMS says because they accept Medicare, are making changes, and then Mm -hmm. it's a domino effect, and Mm -hmm. other hospitals are going to follow suit, which also sounds like- It's like peer pressure. It's like peer pressure. Yeah, and and it sounds like that's what what is happening in certain states with governors and mayors implementing, you know, there's only a few states who are not on some sort of shelter in place i'm in one of them that's not arkansas arkansas did not issue yet no yeah no which is so that's a whole nother fascinating topic um i mean i think i could go either way like do these southern states who or rural I think South Dakota still is not listed. Do these Southern or rural states that tend to have a fairly large Republican dominant leadership, do, do they know something we don't know? <laughs> or are they lax and, and being inappropriate? Like, well, which is it? I don't know. I think they, maybe they're trying to strike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe they're trying to strike a balance. Between well, the only country so far that seems to have had a very discerned public, you know, opt out is Sweden. Sweden does not have a shelter in place or a quarantine order. Businesses as usual, all shops are open. The old and the infirm are encouraged to self quarantine, but they have kind of chosen the opposite pathway of okay, what most of and- the other countries have done. And now that you're saying that, and I just heard this, so this is like hearsay, but I heard that Israel adopted basically the same exact attitude. You know, I I don't know about that. I could look it up, but I don't know about Israel. Um, I've been following Sam Vaknin from Israel, um, and he hasn't mentioned it. He's, He's a real character. If you haven't had the pleasure of listening to him speak, it's worth it. He's a very openly grandiose narcissist who writes about narcissistic personality disorder from the perspective of being that person. But he has one of the highest IQs in the glo- in the world, in the history of the world. So he can kind and, of be a narcissist. <laughs> so he can kind of be a narcissist. Like we give him a little, and, and he somehow has found a way to be a little bit 
like humorous in his presentation of how great he is. So it's watchable. Like it's not like Donald Trump where it's like gag me with a spoon. It's it's actually watchable, you know? And um and he is presenting some very counter ideas to what is mainstream. Um I'm just gonna Google really quickly Israel's um yeah, Israel clamps down on travel over Passover. So this was published today. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu this week announced tighter restrictions on travel, including a strictly enforced lockdown during Passover. And that's so. probably related to what they deal with every Passover, possibly. Yeah. Lots of travel. The temporary lockdown is the strictest measure Israeli, Israel has put in place in the battle for the, during the pandemic. So the lockdown will restrict travel between cities beginning at 4 p.m. on Tuesday local time and remaining in effect until 7 a.m. on Friday. Oh, my God. Sometimes I can't quite process it. Um, I am in Australia right now. Um, and when this started in Australia, the PM went on television and openly said, um, prepare to shelter in place for six months. Hmm. At the time, there were 400 cases in the country. And how big is the population? It's not, it's not large. The, the land mass is very large, but the population sure. is not. Um, 24.6 million oh, yeah, no. in Australia. By comparison, Canada is 36.5 million. Yeah, so not much density. As of 3 p.m. on April 9th, a total of 6,103 cases of COVID-19 have been reported in Australia, including 51 deaths. More people die of auto accidents probably in a day. You know, and I need to research it more. The little bit that I've seen about H1N1 back in the, I guess that was early 2000s, seemed much more severe, really terrible consequences for children none of this was happening so is there a shift in our culture as far as attitude goes where there's some sort of mentality that we need this protection is it's a good question. i don't know i feel like it's i feel like there's a shift from okay less than just a generation ago, kids could be outside on their bicycles and we didn't need to know where they were to yeah. now you don't leave the fenced backyard. Yeah. You know, this idea of hovering over yeah. your kids. Yeah. I, I mean, we do have this sort of shrinking, is it worldview or shrinking notion of safety in the world or, or, you know, as, as globalization has like marched through the world, we've also seen this, this growing nationalism push, right? Like right. that's like this fear of our neighbors and fear of other uh, nationalistic tendencies, which Trump is at the center of. Other countries have followed suit as well. Um, it's quite curious that all borders closed of all countries. And I mean, like as an American who's overseas, Hearing the U.S. State Department issuing recommendations, they were never orders, but they were recommendations, come home now. That statement alone is worth exploring. Like, what about literally thousands 
of people who don't live in their home country. Right. It, well, and let's, let's look at what's happening in the States. I mean, we're a big country. So yesterday, my ex-husband went from Arkansas to Montana, where he works. And he was told by a friend, well, you know, you're going to have to quarantine for 14 days when you get here. He's like, what are you talking about? And we read Governor Bullock's order. There actually was an exception for those who were traveling for work. But for any other person entering the, the state of Montana, it required them to quarantine themselves for 14 days. Now, when he went to the airport yesterday, I dropped him off. He sent me a picture of the security line. There was no one in it. There were five people on the plane. In the terminal of the airport here, they were not allowing anyone in but a ticketed passenger. There is more exposure to COVID-19 going to Walmart for essentials than there is in going, stepping foot into the airport. Then when he landed in Montana, that's a very small airport anyway, Helena. Hardly any people, again, goes to, you know, exit the terminal and the National Guard is there taking temperatures and asking questions. He videotaped a older gentleman being asked a few questions. The man was wearing a mask that, you know, they were nice. They asked him the questions, took his temperature and the man went on. And then when I touched base with him later, I said, so what happened? He said, I refused to answer their questions just that I'm not going to submit to their questions. You know, do you have a temperature? Do you have a tickle in your throat? Have you traveled anywhere? He wouldn't answer. And I said, well, what'd they do? They said, have a nice day. But they followed him to his car and took pictures of his license plate. And this, this just happened <laughs> in the last 24 hours. So it's not, and so it's close our borders, but it's also now we're going to close our state borders to, to what? I'm speechless. <laughs> I'm speechless. Because we went through scenarios. He was like, what should I say? What should I do when I get there? And I said, well, you know, my instinct is, yeah, you're not being detained. So I don't think you have to answer their questions. And I would ask, are you detaining me? You know, is there, am I free to go? That, that kind of, you know, line of questioning. Um, you know, but then we found out that there was an exception for folks who were working. So we knew he probably wasn't going to have to quarantine. But the thought that if I had traveled with him, for example, or what if my minor son had, how was he going to work and keep a minor in the hotel room quarantined? Like it just. And why is the National Guard tracking your health status? Right. We have we have taken something that is entirely private and we have sensationalized and nationalized something that's private. So this brings me to a very important, scary concept. There is multiple reports of the way out of quarantine. Meaning? What's, what's going to happen to end all of this? Well, so I'm going to text you right now while we're on the phone. I'm going to text you an image and then a website of a new wearable tech company that is promoting their new product 
that will have embedded digitized health information that is scannable by an app. And you have to prove your status before you can enter certain places. Life after quarantine. Are you cleared? Are you pending? I or saw are... that. Yeah. I actually saw that. Yep. Okay. I just sent it to you. Yep. I saw it. Scary. Right. Bill Gates. Bill Gates is talking about the um, invisible tattoo that is embedded microchips that are scannable as you walk through airport security. To track vitals? Yeah, no, to track health history. In other words, this antibody screen that they are developing right now to test who has gotten this disease and preparation for many other global pandemics that they keep warning about, this this injectable biometric health data records will be required, as will vaccination, in order to cross borders. So going back to our original conversation about personal freedom versus public health, how has millions of people stopped questioning authority? How have millions of people given up their right to sovereignty, bodily integrity, medical freedom? How has this happened in the span of a few weeks? I, I do not know. <laughs> I cannot, I cannot understand it. I feel like the majority of people I know are on board with all of this. And I know, me too. A, a small percentage me too. are resistant. Yeah, but they're silently resistant. I mean, I, I've looked hard for the podcasts and the YouTube talks and the people broadcasting from their balcony being like, um, Well, fear. you get shamed if you say anything. You know, I haven't posted much about this. I've posted in the context of women being denied uh, a postpartum support person in the state that has the most abysmal maternal mortality statistics in the entire country. And I get told I'm a hundred percent behind it. It's a good idea. What? I will never see the justification in that. We're sacrificing what? one generation for, I'm not even going to say the older generation, just I'm, I'm going to say, you know, people who are, look, COVID-19 serious, but at the end of the day, we are hurting you know, the next generation of babies coming into this world. Oh, I know. This is what I keep talking about. Like, okay, this whole theory of separating babies from positive moms. Have you followed this? Many I have a bit because I've got my cousin in Italy who's in her third trimester and the hospitals are telling her that they'll separate the baby from her if they feel it's necessary. Yeah, total, total authority of the organization yeah. or the institution, um, an, a dearth of personal authority. And, and this flies in the face of everything we know. I mean, parental rights to, to choose the course of action for your child definitely trump institutional rights. And yet 
that has changed in the matter of a few weeks. So many hospitals, even in the U.S., are separating babies from moms who are positive. And in fact, yesterday so, I did to protect the baby. I don't know. What it's are they going to do? What are they going to do? Somebody still separated? has to take care of the baby. Where is the baby going to be? How many hands are going to touch the baby? In what institution? I mean, talk about risk. It's insane. It's totally insane. The World Health Organization recommends that all women who can breastfeed should breastfeed, period, even during a pandemic. I mean, I just did an interview yesterday with a group of COVID-positive people around the nation to ask them about their symptoms and when they were tested and how they were tested. It's on my YouTube channel. And we happened to have a mom whose due date was the very next day who was COVID positive and recovering in the call. And she is seeing a midwifery group outside Chicago and was told by the, the group that the recommendation is that she has to breastfeed with a mask and that it would be better if she could pump her milk and let somebody else bottle feed her baby. And I, I, I really... I really can't imagine the thought process that would lead to that kind of recommendation. Every single day in Indonesia, 426 babies die as a result of formula feeding or bottle feeding because the very act of keeping the equipment clean is impossible for some people. Not to mention the fact <laughs> You know, formula is an inert substance and it has, you know, bacterial, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, to recommend that a brand new mother not touch her baby for fear of a virus that she already recovered from while the baby was inside her body is insane. As far as I know, there have been two infant deaths globally related to COVID-19. How can it be that a nation, a globe of people, are trusting a medical paradigm that has been proven over and over again to be inaccurate? How can we ignore our personal instincts, our, our, our millennial-old instincts of what it's like to welcome a new human on the planet in favor of worries about a virus that has a 1% death rate, maybe? and an almost 0% death rate for infants? How, I mean, I'm at a loss to find the words to describe how flabbergasted I am. Luckily, this mom said it was just a recommendation and my midwife said I could do whatever I want. And, you know, it seems like she's aware of the fact that it is a biological imperative to hold your baby. And this idea of separating infants from mothers as a way to protect them is inane. It's asinine when we have so much data to prove that skin to skin, eye to eye, body to body is the only way that infants thrive. In fact, that study out of Romania, out of the orphanages in Romania showing that infants literally died as a result of not being touched enough. Oh yeah. Are you talking about the old study back in the yeah. 50s, Bulby and yeah. Spitz, I think yeah. it is? because yeah. it's unethical to do it now. But, but we know that, that, that touch is, is a biological imperative and that it actually helps keep people safe. And what has happened right now is that governments have literally outlawed touch for those of us who live alone. Yeah. Well, and what about the people who are end of life, 
you know, because of COVID. Oh, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. Do you know how many people have died alone or for the living who have lost someone without the ability to even say goodbye? Oh, there's this study. I did a, I did a, um, interview with a midwife from Spain, um, last week and, there's this very public story in Spain right now about a woman who was fully pregnant, um, taken to the hospital and not, I, I, I think she had COVID. Um, I don't know the whole story. I should look it up the article, but, um, she and the baby both died during the birth process as a result of lack of attention the baby had poor heart tones and nobody did anything and they both died. And then at the height of Spain's outbreak, because of worries of infection, both bodies were cremated and the father never got to see them again. Okay. And there was no confirmed positive test. They just disappeared. The the trauma that is going to sweep the globe in people in every country who have lost someone that they, that literally disappears. Like that is a form of gaslighting. Your very fabric of your reality doesn't match what you feel because others have made choices that should have been yours. It's disturbing. This whole situation is disturbing. That's insane. You'll have to send me a link to that one. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, it, it doesn't, first. It just doesn't make any sense. And can we just talk about the elephant in the room here, which is the toilet paper situation? (laughs) I am not trying to be funny. Oh, but it's so sad. It is funny. I had not watched the news and I'm an informed person nonetheless, (laughs) but I had not watched the news in two years and I saw something probably on Instagram, because I'm not on Facebook a whole lot. I saw something somewhere about don't use vodka to make hand sanitizer. And I thought to myself, who the hell is wasting perfectly good vodka on hand sanitizer? So I put on YouTube TV as the news. Yes. And I put the local news on and I was like, what the hell is going on? And then sure enough, I go to buy hand sanitizer because I legitimately was about to be out and need it at a job. I do a part-time gig and I thought, well, let me just go look. No alcohol, no hand sanitizer, and then no toilet paper. I, I could have. And, and why? No clue. Of all the things to be out of during a respiratory illness. Help me understand this. I mean, certainly we do now know that there can be some gastrointestinal symptoms associated with COVID, but really? I even asked my cousin in Italy who I video chat with weekly, if not every other day, I asked her, I said, do you have toilet paper there? And she was like, what are you talking about? Of course. <laughs> There's none here in Australia. Every shelf is sold out here in Australia. Even now. 
I don't know. I don't understand it. Anyway, we're not going to resolve these big questions today, but no. I think it would be, um, it would be good to review a few positive things. So um, even in the midst of this global, but certainly national um, shelter in place, emergency order, do we have rights, Keisha? What rights do we have? I'm going to say no. Shit. What about moms? Do they have rights when they walk into a hospital and ask for people to help them have a baby? They have rights to say, I want, I need. I'm going to say no, but I'll also say that if you are loud enough, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease and you make a big enough fuss, you might be able to get the hospital to change that policy because they do have, it is still their prerogative based, you know, on what we were talking about earlier with CMS and Medicare and all this. So it sounds like as of today, in a span of 24 hours, one of the big hospitals here, you know, reversed its policy on that. And now someone can be there postpartum. Yeah, it's time for, you know, women to stick up for themselves, you know, make a lot of noise about this. And, you know, I had people calling their obstetricians as soon as they heard who I'm sure were relaying information to the hospital staff and, you know, just use every tool you can to speak out about it. So, um, so let's think about our audience right now. We have um, a group of folks who are uh, concerned citizens who may be uh, uh, pregnant or expecting a baby this year. Um, what should they do? What recommendation are we going to give them for navigating this situation? I would say look at alternatives to a hospital birth if that's what you have planned. What if it's not what you had planned? So if you're not planning the hospital birth and you're going to go the route of a midwife. Yeah. Or unassisted. I guess I would say just continue doing what you were going to do. And if you're planning to birth in a hospital, consider looking elsewhere. I, I interviewed a I group of um, stakeholders from around the nation last week about opening emergency facilities to handle normal birthing people. In other words, emergency birth centers around the nation. We had a really good talk. That's also on my YouTube channel. And one of the midwives from uh, Louisiana, who's actually this week opening an emergency second facility um, outside New Orleans, she said, I asked her the same question, like, what's your biggest advice? And she was like, go now. Don't wait till your community's overrun and your hospital's not taking anyone. Don't wait till you're, you can't get the kind of care you want. Switch now. Call your local midwife. Find your local hospital, uh, birth center and, and figure out how to get oriented in her care now before she's full. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree. I think that's one of the best pieces of advice I've heard. Um, and like you said, if you, if you keep your plan to birth in the hospital, be a squeaky wheel. Yeah. Um, in the past, pre-pandemic, people who made big fusses at the hospital about various standard protocol things sometimes had CPS called on them. Yep. Do you expect that to continue? 
I think it would continue because of our mandated reporter laws, hmm. which I totally disagree with. I, I don't hmm. think there should be such a thing because you hmm. can always report something. Yeah, you can, you can spin it any way you can. On that happy note. <laughs> <laughs> Well, here's some good news. We're going to do these talks. <laughs> we uh, need to do that as well, but <laughs> we're going to do these talks every week. Um, so you can hear more of us on any podcast platform that you like. Help from others. Uh, we're focusing on health, education, love, and protection. Today might be a little of all. I love you. Thanks for being and doing this with me. Oh, love you too. <laughs> <laughs>